This is week two of Leaving a Legacy That Lasts, one of the greatest parts of doing a three-part series. We're going to find out who the elect are. Apparently in scriptures, if you make it through three weeks, you're going to heaven. <laughs> you know, the bottom line is it's a long week. How many had a long day today? So here's the deal. I'll try to keep uh, my points uh, salient and to the point. And then you'll get to talk a little bit. We have a mic up here tonight. We're going to talk about the truth about consequences. The truth about consequences. We want to talk a little bit about discipline. And it reminds me of the story that uh, Tom had uh, won a toy uh, at a raffle. And he called his kids together and asked, which one should have the present? He said, Dad says, who's the most obedient? He asked, who never talks back to their mother? Who does everything she says? Five small little voices answered in unison. Okay, Dad, I guess you get the toy. <laughs> so, um, some of you do have toddlers. Who has a toddler at home still? All right. Have you heard of the toddler property laws? If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never in any way appear to be yours. If I'm doing or build something, all the pieces are mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> so tonight we want to talk a little bit about discipline. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is a discipline plan that actually could work. And I, I uh, entitled this The Truth About Consequences because on your notes, <clears throat> I want to ask you this. What is a parent supposed to do? There's all kinds of discipline situations that you're facing depending on the ages of your kids. Um, how does discipline change as kids get older? Because certainly how you handle a three-year-old is different than how you handle a 13-year-old. Do I have an amen to that? Amen. Um, and so we need to teach our kids, bottom line, that there are consequences. There are consequences to their choices. There are consequences that have direct cor correlation with the kind of results they get in life. Now, you took a test last week to determine whether you were a helicopter parent. You do not have to reveal yourself and admit, I am a helicopter parent. But those parents who tend to score high in control have the biggest problem in releasing their kids to suffer the natural consequences of their behavior. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, a little later tonight. So I want to ask you a few questions. Do you ever worry about you're doing the right thing with your kids? I uh, am going to be a first-time grandparent, and it's all coming back to me now because um, my daughter sent an email to all family members, and I didn't realize, I checked around with some other grandparents today to see, is this the normal thing that now has to happen once you have grandchildren? The subject line was the dreaded vaccination request. And apparently, these five requests from my daughter. We'd like to make sure that your flu shot has been taken. Now, you're nodding your heads because something has changed in the last 28 years. You know, I have to have a flu shot. She wants to make sure, and it uh, begins with a D, and I think it has something to do with whooping, whooping, whooping cough. 
Dip there is not up to date. And so my wife went to Kaiser Day and got a bunch of shots. I haven't had a bunch of shots since I last went to Africa. I'm wondering if any of them are up to date. But she says, and I quote, this is the last of those kind of emails you'll receive. I just don't want Finn, his name's gonna be Phineas, who's being born in the dreaded flu season to be compromised in the early weeks, months, I think, of his life. End of email. So I, I just realized, I don't think she's a helicopter parent, but she's definitely a first-time parent. And so I thought, this is ridiculous. So I had this little argument with my wife this morning. I am not getting any stinking flu shot. I'm an anti-flu shot kind of guy. I've never had one. I'm 56. I never get the flu. I, remember, I was the kid who started in kindergarten and through seventh grade never missed a day of school. You say, were you sick? Well, I was occasionally, but I'm going to get that perfect attendance certificate. And I got like seven of them, you know. And so I thought, I don't really need this. And then I got this email and I thought, I never required anything like that when I was a first-time parent. And then my wife said, oh, yes, remember what you were like? I said, what do you mean? She said, remember the first week that Katie was born? You made people scrub all the way to their elbows and then hold their hands up and you inspected? Did I really do that? Well, at least the elbow part. I don't know if I did the inspecting part. So clearly our kids are, are so valuable to us and yet... I think all of us as parents from time to time when it comes to discipline say, we've put all this work into this kid. Now what happened? Like this beautiful, wonderful child I had as a four-year-old has now turned into a 13-year-old, 14-year-old. What happened to my daughter? Who took over her body? Why is she acting so crazy? And so we want to talk about discipline tonight. And maybe there's a particular behavior you're frustrated about. We'll have a chance to talk about that as well. Um, for some of you, is the punishment worse than for you than it is for them? That's another big issue, because if the punishment is worse for you, you've got to have a new punishment. Like if you say, yeah, there's no TV watching in the house. I ain't doing that. I'm not giving up Monday night football just because they're in trouble. So you need to think through the consequences of the choices you make for them as well. And then I'm sure some of you, do you wish you just had this magical formula that you'd snap your fingers and you knew for sure that it, what you were doing was the exact right thing? See, I think all of us have those feelings from time to time. Now, some of you at this point are asking yourself, blah, 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 blah. You know, discipline, all that. I just kind of go with the flow and my kids just are loving and kind and I don't, my kids don't really need much discipline. Does anybody kind of have, you got that kind of kid, they're so easy going that discipline is just a non-issue. Huh? One of them, right? Now, um, how many do you have again? Three, three. So one out of three is not a bad batting average. And in fact, if my parents would have stopped at one child, I think I explained this last week, right? They would have been the perfect parents, they would have written the book, and they would have abused you about how easy it is to be a parent if you follow their simple little guide because my sister was just one very compliant child. How many of you have a strong-willed child? Or now it's more favorable to call them a spirited child, all right? Or argumentative. Or argumentative. 
So how many have a strong-willed child? Okay, some of you. How many of you are not sure yet? You, you can't exactly tell. Okay, you, you'll, you'll find out soon enough. Um, and so sometimes we think we know what we don't know. So I want to play a little game with you. I'm going to put a slide up here in a moment. When you see the paragraph, all I want you to do is count the number of F's in the paragraph. Go. Not the title, just in the paragraph. Got it? Here's what we're going to do. How many count three F's? Raise your hand. Very good. How many count four F's? How many count five F's? How many count six F's? How many count seven F's? How many count eight F's? You see, the first three are obvious. Next slide. See, there are certain things in parenting that seem obvious as you're going through the parenting cycle. Finished files and then scientific. Now go to the next slide. But there are actually six F's. There are three of's in there. And it was right before your very eyes. You see, some, some people would say, that's kind of like discipline. There's some things that seem so obvious. But there are other things that in parenting that are a little more subtle. And after you think about it, you go, oh, yeah, that makes a little more sense. I see it now. And that's what we're going to work on tonight. Now, I want to start with some principles, all right? And in your notes, the first one is this. In terms of principles, never sacrifice principles for people. You say there's not exceptions to these principles? Well, there might be, but I think we get into a lot of trouble when we kind of violate those principles that I think are clearly taught in God's world. Now, I've talked about this first one uh, already if you come to church here on Sundays. First one is rules minus relationship equal rebellion. Rules minus relationship equals rebellion. If you're all about the rules and there's no relationship, there is certainly going to be conflict in your home. And it won't just be minor. They can have some huge ones. Secondly, relationship minus rules equals a revolution or anarchy, right? And you can't have that. It can't all be just about the relationship. I have... um, from time to time talk to parents who seem to think that their kid needs to be their best friend. What do you think about that? Can your child be your best friend? It depends what age they are. I would suggest that if your child is 64 and you are 84, you might become best friends. But it certainly doesn't work when your kid is 12 and you are 40, and you're trying to relive something through your child's experience. Now, I don't think most of you do that, but some people are just afraid that they don't want to offend or over-discipline their children. Thirdly, rules plus relationship equal respect. Now, did we do the, or let's show this uh, slide next. Actually, I think um, I like this little uh, picture that we put on the screen. Unattended children will be given an espresso and a free puppy. All right? That's what happens if it's all about relationship and uh, there's no rules. The last one is rules plus relationship equals respect. All right? Rules plus relationship equal respect. So my question is this about rules then. What kind of rules do we need to have for our kids? 
So throw one out here. Tell me one of your family rules. What are one of the rules you have for your family? Okay, you got to be honest. That's tough, huh? Especially when they mess up. All right, so honesty is one of your rules. What else? What's another rule for your family? Respect, all right? So respect and honesty are, are, are two rules for your family. Now, different families define respect a little differently, right? So you got to know what that what we mean by respect. What else? Another rule for your family. Empathy. Empathy. Explain that a little bit. Okay. All right, so it was an accident, but make sure you apologize, make sure it's okay, show a little empathy. What's their age difference? Okay, and how old is your son? And she's four and a half, okay. And always little girls have drama anyway, don't they? I mean, there's always some issues about something, you know, so. All right, so you have to have rules. So let's talk a little bit about rules. Three things about rules. Number one, you need to be consistent. If you're not going to be following through on the rule, don't have the rule. You've got to be consistent in enforcing it. That's why you can't make an idle threat. We'll talk about idle threats as it relates to family vacations if you come to session four on that final Sunday morning because everybody's vacation is filled with idle threats. It all happens how you're going to handle the inevitable conflict in the backseat of the car, right? Um, secondly, rules need to be clear. They can't be uh, ambiguous. It's got to be so that you clearly know and they know what has been said. How many of you have found that you think you have a budding defense attorney in your family already? You think there's a, there's a future in law for them, all right? How do you know that? What do they do? What do they seem to do with you all the time? So they try to manipulate you. What else do they do? They want to negotiate with you over everything. Everything they want to negotiate, bedtime, snack time, whether they will or won't wear a coat, on and on and on. And so you want to be clear, this is what's acceptable, and here's what's not acceptable. And so one of the things that you have to negotiate in your family is, how can a kid respectfully appeal a decision? You know, you are Roger Goodell of your family. You are the NFL commissioner, dads. If your kid says, hey, dad, but what about this? Is there an appeal process to a decision? And for some of you, that's a non-issue because you say your kids, tell, you tell your kids something and they just obey. First time, they don't even argue, they don't even blink, they go right to the room. Well, we've already identified at least 50% of you have a future lawyer or a headstrong or a manipulative kid. That doesn't work. And so we have to talk to them in ways that are very clear. Thirdly, you got to be concise. Got to be concise. So one of the things is we had, as a family, had very few rules. You say, really? Yeah. I, I, I'm just not a rule guy. I don't want a long list of things that my kids had to, like, check off. And I just... So we had some very simple family rules. When I'm talking, you're not. And when you're talking, I'm not. That was one of our rules. Because around our family dinner room table, and we only had four of us, it was like four people could be talking all at the same time, and everybody was jockeying for position to tell their story of the day. Second little rule for us growing up with our kids, you got to know where it's an odd or even day. You go, what? Odd or even. 
for whatever reason, sitting with dad in the front seat was a big deal to them. And so they argued about who got to sit in the front seat. So it was very simple. You got odd, you got even. We only had two kids. The problem is we only had two kids. You have three, four, and five kids. So then you got to have a schedule that's more confusing than Oaks Christian, you know, six, they have like six different schedules and block and this and that. So you'll have to work out what works for your kids. But we just kept track of stuff, odd or even. It worked for everything. Who's got to take out the dog, go to the bathroom? What day is it? Odd, even, it's yours. If it was an odd day, you got to sit with that and you got to pick up <clears throat> stuff out in the yard. You got to take the trash out. You got to do whatever dad asked you to do because it's your day, it's odd. But you got all the benefits of that odd or even day. And the only thing that where that was, didn't work it was when my older daughter could manipulate my son into believing it was a different day. And he, uh, there's not like four odd days in a row, John. You got to figure that out. She'd work it. She'd work it. All right, so you have rules. Now, another principle in parenting is truth minus love and truth and love. First Ephesians 4.15, all right? We've talked about this. Truth minus love equals hurt. So as you're disciplining your kids, you can tell them all the truth that you want, but you don't share in love with your kids they're going to push back. You're going to hurt them because you tell them the truth and you just leave an emotional wake of carnage behind you. That's true in a marriage. We've talked about that on Sunday mornings, haven't we? I tend to be more of the truth speaker. My wife tends to be more of the lover, all right? So now what's the, what's the flip side of that? Love minus truth equals hypocrisy or half-truth, right? Love minus truth equals hypocrisy. So it's all about the love, but you never tell the truth. That's not good either. So the way my wife is wired, she just, she has a very difficult time speaking truth. And as our kids got older, what happened with our discipline approach? You see, I became the bad guy all the time because I had to tell the truth. I had to speak truth in them. I had to be the discipline. And so as they got older, I said, hey, just for fun, how about you be the bad cop and I'll be the good cop? What a concept. And we had to actually consciously talk about, okay, why don't you take this one? My wife knew because I tend to be, and I'll just admit it, there are two Greek words for anger. One's thumos, that's, and orge, that's kind of the simmering, settling, you know, just kind of idling, you know, boiling plate kind of anger. So if there was a big issue that I had to deal with when I got home, she would call me at the office she said she would do this three things. Honey, is anybody in the office? No. Good. Would you shut the door? Okay. She said, are you sitting down? Uh, well, I need to be sitting down soon. Yes, you need to just sit down. And then she'd explain what had happened. And before I could say anything, she goes, now, honey, it's 22 minutes to get home. I'd like you to think about what the first words are going to come out of your mouth when you greet your children because you're gonna deal with the situation. She was a super wise wife because she knows that in my flesh, I'd react. Now, this won't be on camera, so you can admit this publicly. How many of you, your first reaction is to like, and you kind of instantly react? You're an instant reactor. We have five of us. Okay, we'll start a little support group afterwards. We'll talk. How many of you are pretty good? You're pretty measured. You're, you can hear stuff. It doesn't inflame you, and you're like, you're more steady. You're, you can do that. God bless you that there's actually people who can do this, right? Yeah, well, it depends on what kid, because some kids provoke you more than others, right? And we'll talk about that, okay? Um, teachers, you've got to do it all the time, right? I mean, you could just like send kids to the office like 24-7, couldn't you? 
So you have to figure out where you're going to fight your battles, right? Which kids you're going to lock in the closet and throw away the key, you know, those kinds of things, right? Not that you would ever do that, I'm sure. What ages do you work with? Middle school? Oh, you have the mature juniors and seniors. <clears throat> yes. All right? So the last slide, truth plus love equals honesty. Truth plus love equals honesty. Now, let's talk about one more principle. That's responsibility and freedom. How your kids, as they get older, say, I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. How come I don't have more freedom? Does anybody experience that with your children right now? All right, how old? The 11-year-old. Man, my life is a prison. I can't do a thing. What's wrong with you, mom and dad? So let's talk about that. Galatians 5.13 says, You were called to freedom, brethren. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So third principle. If it's all responsibility... In other words, you've got to do all these chores, you've got to do all this work, and there's never freedom for a kid. That's called slavery, and it works really good when they're young, you know? I'm sorry, you've got to pull weeds. My Weeds was the worst thing known to man for me and for my son. Apparently, the sins of the fathers were visited to the third and fourth generation. The bottom line, I hated weeding. My kids hated weeding. It was the number one discipline tool of choice was weeding. Now, the problem is you got to be on the same page when you're enacting that discipline, right? So if you guys, if they can divide and conquer you, how does that work in your home? It works for them. It works horrible for you. If they can split you and say, well, mom said this or dad said that. And so you can't have just all responsibility and no freedom. How about all freedom and no responsibility? The Bible talks about that in Proverbs. It's called the sloth or the lazy person, Okay the lazy person or the slothful person, all right? You can't have all that. The cans can't just do whatever they want. They can't have like ice cream, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, can they? I mean, do they have to have, I can go to bed whenever I want. No, there's gotta be some responsibility. And so what we want is responsibility plus freedom equals independence. Let me give you a summary as kids become more responsible, they're gonna achieve a corresponding degree of freedom. Bottom line, as kids become more responsible, they will, that will result in more independence. So let me ask you this. If in fact, your kids need to become more responsible, what is the corresponding freedom you're gonna give them? Now this is different because we got all different age spans. Uh, let's take uh, our teenage parents, all right? So what are the things that they, we're at the bottom of page one still, by the way, if you're looking for where I'm at, bottom of page one. Uh, what should they do to become, get more freedom, all right? And then we're gonna talk about the consequences of rescuing in just a second. What do they have to do to get more freedom? What would you want from them so they can have more freedom? Say the age of a kid and what you want them to do to have more freedom. How would they get, have to be more responsible? All right, so say, take an initiative is one way you gain more freedom, all right? Any of you facing driving yet? Your kids happen to drive? Who's, who's got drivers in their home? Anybody? Facing that, right? So how do they get a driver's license? What do they have to do to get that freedom in your family? Practice. Practice. Does grades have anything to do with a driver's license? 
a lot of families, you get a, you get a driver's license when you have the proper grades. So if you're not doing well in school, you're never getting your driver's license. Now the problem with that is that eventually begins to punish you more than them, because as they get older, you want the free taxi service. I loved it once Katie got her license. Think about how many times we lived 13 miles from church, we went back and forth picking up kids from events and whatnot. And so uh, when they're younger, how does a six-year-old get more freedom? What would he have to do? Who's got the six-year-olds? Five-year-olds, six-year-olds, anybody? If they want more freedom, what does a six-year-old have to do? Like he says, Dad, Mom, I want a little later bedtime. This going to bed at like 7.30 is for five-year-olds. I am a six-year-old now. There should be a progressive understanding that I can handle it. So what's one little simple way you handle bedtime? We'll talk about that next week. In terms of more freedom, what do you do? You let them do it. And then the next morning, what do they have to do? Wake up, and they have to wake up if a non-grumpy you know, look, they gotta, and if you gotta drag them out of bed, so apparently you can't handle it, because you were horrible to get out of bed. And so, how about kids saying, hey, I've got my homework done, I just want to read, uh, I wanna read more books. Does that happen in your home? I got my homework done, I wanna read more books. We have one child who might want to read a book. Use that. Take their books away from them to discipline them. But the rest of us, they want to do more. They want to play more video games. They want to watch more TV. And how many of you have ever had a, parent, a kid tell you that their homework was done and they didn't quite have it done? Anybody ever have that one? Save that one for next week. We'll talk about homework battles. All right? So the principle is how do you give them more responsibility and corresponding freedom? So our daughter... And our house in Minnesota was five bedrooms with a basement, because everybody has a basement in Minnesota. There were two bedrooms in the basement and three bedrooms on the upper, upper level. So basement, main level, upper level. So somewhere about age 13, she said, Dad, am I a good kid? And I, now, she was not lawyering up for me here. She was just having a conversation. She said, Dad, am I a good kid? Yeah, honey, you are a great kid. She said, I have a, she said it just like this, I have a proposal for you. Really? Okay. She said, I would like to move my bedroom down to the basement. Now, the basement was a walkout. If you know that term in the Midwest, that means you can escape from the outside basement by not going through our front door throughout the basement sliding door. She said, oh, why would you like to be in the basement? Well, you know, Dad, I'm a little, you know, older than John Daniel, and I like a little space. It'll, it's just a bigger bedroom down there. Uh, plus, you know, we've got, then I'd have a little sitting area outside my bedroom, which was the basement, you know, with the, all the other stuff. It was a big basement. I just think it would be good for me to have that, 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 that space. And I said, is there a reason why you want to be two floors and 193 feet separated from the rest of the family? She goes, no, I, I just think it would be nice. So I thought about saying no, and I'm thinking, what? possible alternative could she have? And I thought, well, maybe the only way you want to be in the basement is because it's easier to sneak out the back basement door than if you have to come down the stairs and we could, we could hear you. you. We could be upstairs, she could be in the basement, she could sneak out. She was 13. So I'm thinking, but I'm thinking there's been nothing in her life that has proven to me that she's devious that she would do that. And so I said, sure. You can do that. And we never had a problem. This is the kid, of course, when I'd go downstairs, you know, she'd be having her quiet time. She'd be journaling. 
And she's the kid who, when she was sick, said, Dad, it is 8 o'clock. Don't you think I should be in bed? You know, a just twisted, sick child. So I, um, <clears throat> I, we said yes. We never had a problem. Many, many years later, we were laughing about this at a family gathering. She said, she said to me, this is just a couple years ago. She's now 28. She said, Dad, how stupid was I? I go, what? I never even once thought about how cool it would be to sneak out of the house at night. You gave me the basement. I never even went there. I go, honey, that's why you got to be in the basement. Second story, my son lived there. Do you think he ever got to be in the basement? Not a stinking chance. From the de- in fact, we deadbolted his door from the in- outside. You can't get out of your room. No, I mean, it was. And we found out many years later that a couple of times we let him be in the basement because it was so hot upstairs and the basement was like 10 degrees cooler. On several occasions when he slept in the basement just one night, he snuck out every single time. What were you doing? What possible thing were you doing? I'll tell you that story in just a moment. So the bottom line, if you go to the next page, is that kids have to, you know, we have to deal with the consequences versus rescuing, all right? So here's the principle. Let your kids experience the natural consequences of their decisions, all right? The principle is let your kids suffer the natural consequences of their decision, okay? Now, here's a picture. Check it out. This is the natural consequence of a decision here. Oh! I can't honestly say I'd let my kid do that, but that's a natural consequence of a decision. All right? Next, rescuing them only, only delays their maturity. If you're rescuing them all the time, it only delays their maturity. So let's talk about some natural consequences of behavior at different life stages. All right? How many of you have ever had a two- or three-year-old throw a temper tantrum in the supermarket? Okay. So, okay, we have a group. I have a survey. Survey says nearly all of you have experienced that. So what did you do? What did you do? They throw a temper tantrum in the supermarket. They're embarrassing you in public. You walked away from them. How many of you walked away from them? How many of you pointed at some other lady's hand? <laughs> All right? Yeah. In fact, if you ever listen to Kevin Lehman, he says, yeah, walk away from them. Let them just have it all out there. What if they start pulling stuff off the shelves? What if they start throwing stuff? Well, let's just say if it got that far, then I probably did something else along the way that allowed that kind of behavior to happen, right? And so we can't let a kid run wild, but we're more embarrassed by their behavior because of our image, aren't we? And that's what, kids know that. They know if you, they act up in church, you have the candy in your pocket and you slip them some candy. And they've learned from an early age, if I act up, it's a sugar fix, guaranteed. I get what I want. And you've got to train them that that just isn't acceptable. Now, I went to a church up in Moscow, Idaho, a few years ago. A church of about 1,000 people. I have never seen so many young kids sit for so long in an hour and 20-minute service and not act up. And I was so shocked. I, I mean, I looked everywhere. And, and, and you, sometimes you go, okay, maybe they were all like Amish, and I didn't know it. What in the world did they do that they had like two-year-olds? to, you know, all ages of kids, and they sat beautifully. And I'm thinking, 
Okay, they drug these kids. I'm pretty sure they drug these kids. Somehow there was something in the formula because you can't have that three-year-old sit there. And I'm thinking, I'm looking for coloring sheets. And I asked our, these kids grew up in my youth group and they had, they had six kids. And so I asked Michael Linda, tell me what in the world do you guys do at your church that the entire family worships together and those kids sit like they've been there before. And she said, well, we realized a long time as a, a community, as a church, that if we expect our kids to sit in church, that we should have practiced sitting in church where? At home. They practice at home. And so they had chairs just like that. They put their six chairs out in their living room. And they said, kids, we're going to practice going to church. And they did it from the time they were bitty-bitty kids. Here's another thing they discovered. How did the older kids do with the younger kids? The older kids taught the younger kids. So I went back and I talked to Ryan because he's, he's from a family of eight. I said, how much did your parents do discipline? He said, my parents disciplined the older kids. I said, how did it work with the younger kids? They expected us to help our, our siblings know what was expected from them. I said, your dad never had to spank the younger kids? He never had to, oh no, he did. But there was a clear delineation that the older kids, part of being an older brother, older sister, was that you had a responsibility to help your younger siblings. And so it's not surprising to me that Ryan's three younger brothers nearly idolize him as much as their father because he was like a second father without being the father figure. He was the kind of kid who dad had instructed him when they were struggling with dad, Ryan would pull him aside and said, man, Aaron, what are you thinking? Dad's just doing this. Learn, man, don't go this way, go that way. And there'd be a little private conversation. And it's like he was that second parental authority in home. If you don't use the power of the older child in your home, you're missing out on a great opportunity. You say, my oldest child is a delinquent. I don't want him anywhere around my younger kids. Then we have another issue. And we'll talk about that next week. That's called a, a special case. We'll leave it at that, all right? So, uh, the fourth thing is this, let them only, uh, resting them only delays their maturity, and let mistakes be their teacher. Let mistakes be their teacher, all right? So, there are some mistakes that aren't life-threatening, right? So, let's think about this. They forget their lunch. Now, I don't know if you make lunches or they make their own lunches, but they forget their lunch, what do you do, Mom? Do you take the lunch to school? One time. One time. They get a one free pass. There's a, good, there's a good, and then what happens the second time? You eat when you get home. But my little tummy's going to be hungry. I can't concentrate in math. Oh, well. They call, oh, Mom. No? Sorry. Now, if your kid is outgoing, then the forgetting the lunch thing is not a big deal. Because the guy scores from every other kid in the class, especially when they're young. I'm telling you, my son worked the system as a first grader. You forget the lunch, and then, now, our, we, he was at a little Christian school in first grade, so the teacher did have a jar of peanut butter and some, and some bread in the cupboard, and if they forgot lunch, they could make a peanut butter sandwich with water. That was like, first she didn't give them water. That was really fun, you know, trying to eat. But then they would share. They were so Christian. 
these kids, oh, that's all right, Jenny, you can have one of my Earl cookies. I mean, the kid would forget their lunch on purpose. I like what I get from this kid, you know? And of course, the little girls, you know, were trying to make, make a move on the little boys, you know, because they're, oh, I'll share with Johnny. He can sit by me, all right? So lunch, that's an easy one, all right? What's a natural consequence? Let's look at this. Here's a kid who got himself in a pickle, literally. Check this out. How does a kid do that? How could he possibly find himself there, all right? So I wouldn't leave him there overnight, but I would let him kind of wrestle with the consequence of their choices. Um, how about when they spend their allowance? I'm sorry, you gotta save your allowance. But I don't have money for the ice cream truck. You say, what are you, you know, beaver cleaver there, that ice cream truck in the 50s? I thought they had all disappeared until I was at, at the football games on Saturday a couple weeks ago at Moore Park and the, at Royal Vista, and there was an ice cream guy on a truck. What better time to come through when there's like a thousand cars and nine million kids, and there's an ice cream truck going through the parking lot. You'd think like kids were running from like World War III. They were coming from everywhere. Dilute. I mean, it was unbelievable. I'm going to get my own ice cream truck. It was unbelievable. How many grew up with an ice cream truck? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, by and large, our kids don't know that experience, and that's the first one I've seen in years. So let mistakes be their teacher. And then lastly, uh, empathize, but don't rescue. Empathize. So as they get older and they got a huge homework project, how is it that it ends up on your responsibility to help them type the paper? How did that happen? Why are you helping them with a homework project? Now, how much parental homework uh, should you do? Zero. There is no thing as parental homework. There's student homework, but why are you doing? What are the kinds of things you might help them do that doesn't rescue them from the consequences of their choices? Time management. You can help them manage their time so they'll get to it. How do we do that? Is it okay to ask some questions about when stuff is due? Absolutely. We had at our ham, everybody had their own color on the calendar with our pens, so we put some of the big stuff. You know, finals is up here, and Katie's were in blue, John was in green. We kept track of some of the big stuff, but if you have to micromanage their life, you go, you know, my kid, he's just a disaster waiting to happen. How about sending them off to camp? Whose responsibility is for them to have clothes when they come home? So here's the bottom line. If they don't come home with any clothes, then apparently they will have to wear what's left at their house because if they lose all their clothes, that's going to be really embarrassing because going commando without underwear is not a good thing. I'm just telling you. But oftentimes, we just step in because we can't bear the fact that our kids will go without or that they'll embarrass us with their behavior. Now, remember, I'm telling you about two very different kids I had in my own family, so this isn't theoretical. I had the perfect child. She was my firstborn. I had the strong-willed child, my second. So I've lived with both, and it's clearly easier to drug them or have a, a, an easy child. The strong-willed child that you have, not that you drug them, you know I'm kidding. The bottom line is you have to decide what are the battles we're going to fight and what we're not going to fight. Now, how old are your kids back here? Four and six. How old are your kids? Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about discipline in just a second. Uh, we're going to take a break in about six minutes, and we're going to talk about discipline at different age groups in just a bit. Now, let's talk a little bit about the process. First of all, You've got to know your parenting style and your personality type, all right? You've got to know your parenting style and your personality type. 
You see, because your approach, and I think we have a lot of points on there, Ron, for you to follow tonight. Knowing your, your approach sets the tone for communication. Knowing your approach sets the tone for communication. Number two, don't be confrontational. Uh, and that's a lot to write underneath that first point there. Don't be confrontational. Some of you are dictators, some of you are doughboys. So if you tend to be a dictator, you're going to be more confrontational with your kids, okay? And be careful about that. Number three, remember we often clash with the kids who are most like us. If you have multiple kids, think about the kid that you butt heads with. If my mom had thought that through, she would have realized why she butt heads with me. We were very similar. My sister was more like my father. My father was really easygoing. My mom was very intense. I was one of those intense children. My son was one of those intense kids. And so we tended to clash, all right? Now, uh, next, be aware of who your child is becoming. Sometimes you have a hard time, dads, letting go of your kids, you know, it's hard for you to imagine that you got a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old. She's growing up. She's becoming a woman. And most dads who have daughters have a hard time letting go of their daughters. It's a huge double standard. The boys, they got to be rough. They got to be tough. They got to handle pain. They fall off their bike. Get off. Don't cry. Their little daughter cries, and you're just a puddle. Oh, honey, I'm sorry, you know? And there's a, we, we've got to realize that how we handle our daughters and our sons are oftentimes very different based on kind of how our parents treated us, all right? And so um, know your parenting style, all right? Number two, don't resort to threats. Mean what you say and say what you mean, all right? Mean what you say and say what you mean, all right? Do you think kids will push your boundaries? true, of course. They're always going to push. They're always going to want more. They're always going to push the limits. Huh? That's their job. They're going to push the limits. Um, And they win when you lose it. If you blow up in anger, you've lost. They've won. Now, many of you live with what I call parental guilt because you know there are times you've just not behaved yourself. And your kids have won, and you've erupted, and you're so embarrassed, and you're ashamed, and you don't know how to talk to anybody about it, but you know you have a a temper problem, all right? And kids know that. So when you're inconsistent, that produces insecurity. When you're inconsistent, that produces insecurity. And so how about starting with a request instead of 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 a threat? Now, I talked a little bit about this. I'll tell you the story. This whole idea that, that you don't, you know, make a threat and mean what you say and say what you mean. So, John Daniel is about 10 years old. It's one of those Minnesota sun, summer nights where it seems like the sun doesn't set till 10 o'clock. But church is on Sunday. So, he said, John Daniel, it's time to come in. Now, this was a remarkable thing because it's a summer Sunday, Saturday night, and he didn't argue. He said, okay, Dad. I thought, hmm, that's a good day. He did no drama. I said, all right, come on. Time to get in the bathtub. Time to get cleaned up. Second discovery, no argument about taking the bath. 
I should have known at that very moment there was something else going on. I should have been much more aware. I had begun to be sucked in. So now our bathtub times were pretty fun. You know, we had GI Joes and we had fishing line and we we're, you know, it's, a, it's an event. I mean, we have full on battles in the bathtub. I'd, while he's in the bathtub, I'd oftentimes like, you know, throw things over the top of the shower curtain and, you know, just, it was fun, all right? But he's 10 now, I'm not really doing the bath thing anymore. So I'm saying, hey, it's time to get to bed. Let's have our prayer times. And we always prayed with our kids. So, so I go to pray with him and uh, we pray. And it was a short night. We didn't talk a lot. And before I almost get done praying, he says, Dad, did anybody take Molly out? And I said, I forgot. Now, Molly is our dog, our little cockapoo. I said, no. He says, well, I'll take her out, go to the bathroom. I said, well, thanks, John. And so I go back to our bedroom, and we're sitting reading in bed. And, and Cheryl goes, and Cheryl goes, did John Daniel come back in? I said, yeah, I think he just took the dog out. She said, would you go check on him just to make sure he came back in? Mother's intuition is like, you know. I said, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm all comfy. You know, we did the rock, paper, scissors. I lost. I lost two out of three. So I get up, and I'm, I'm going to check him out to see if he's got there. Now, the funny thing is, I, we go through this whole thing about who's going to check on the room. I get out of bed, and she's right behind me after I go, right? <laughs> so I open the door. I look in, and sure enough, I go, I, I don't turn the light on. I said, I just, I point to her, and she, she looks in. She looks at me and shakes her head. She throws on the light. She goes to the bed. He had taken his football helmet, put it on his pillow. He put the pillows in the bed to make it look like a body, and he's not in there. Okay, we talked about our roles. Dishonesty is a big one. Dishonesty and disrespect. So I go out onto the front porch, and my wife's saying, settle down, settle down. No, I'm not settling down. I said, John Daniel! You better get your little fanny home this very second! My veins bulging, because that's what it was like. I mean, I'm just losing it. Now, at this point, Katie's going, this is going to be good. She comes out of her bedroom. She's standing on the rail and going, this is going to be exciting. I'm sure she's calling friends, taking bets. Will he live or will he die? How many years will he be in prison? So Cheryl's trying to like pull me back into the house. And I said, John Daniel, you have 10 seconds to get home. And I said it much louder. 10, 9. Now remember, everybody's like out in their front yard still. The whole neighborhood sees the pastor losing it. Now, I thought about many years later, should a pastor lose it on his front porch? I'm sure there are two groups of thinking here. Number one is the first group going, Cool, thank goodness the dude isn't perfect because he's a real pain in the rear end being a pastor. We can't get away with nothing. The other group was, I'm sure, back to the cluckers. Mm, that's so disappointing. The pastor is just not a really godly man. Mm. So the bottom line is I get to seven, six, sorry, five, four. I get to three and I hear, I'm coming, Dad. And he comes booking up the front yard, and he has a bathrobe on. That's it. What in the world was he thinking? With that story, I'm going to pause right now. And when we begin the next session, we'll tell you how it ended. We're leaving him on the front lawn in a bathrobe. Let's take a little break. Let's get uh, coffee. 
and some cookies, and I'll come back and we'll do part two. All right. So we left John Daniel in the front yard, and he's there in a bathrobe, right? So my first question is, what were you thinking, right? And Cheryl's bring it inside. So we get inside, and I am just ticked off. What were you doing? Because this is dishonesty, and I, I really overreacted, I'll be honest with you. And as soon as I asked him a question, he's about to explain, and what did I do? Get to your room. And then he'd get like three steps up the stairs. Get back down here. What were you thinking? And he'd go to explain. I go, get up to your room. He'd go upstairs. Katie's at the middle landing just watching this going up and forth, back and forth. And then I said, you know what? When we're going to talk about spanking a little bit, I said, you know what? There's going to be some consequences, John Daniel, for this. This is a serious offense. Cheryl's in the back of my head whispering, going, let's talk about it first. Let's talk about it first. I said, I don't want to talk about it. The kid's going to bend over, and the Board of Education is going to meet the seat of his understanding. Now, you're going to find out. I have some principles about whether you spank and when you should spank and how you should spank. So let's find out if I followed them. So she's whispering to me. She says, yeah, but you can't do it in anger. I can't spank him in anger, but I can murder him in anger, can I? And she's going, no. And now Katie's going, hmm, I wonder if I get his stuff. Because if John Daniel's not around... So John Daniel finally goes behind my, goes over to my wife, and she says something to him. And uh, by that time, I'm calmed down. I know I'm not going to spank him because that would be completely I, that would not be good. And he, and so John Daniel sees that the the mind is calculating now. That Dad is thinking about what's going to happen. So he knows if Dad thinks about it, the consequences are going to be a lot worse than if he emotionally disciplines and anger, then he knows I'll feel horrible and he'll probably end up with a trip to Disneyland, right? So I, he, I kid you not, he's 10 years old. He looks, at, he's, he, he looks at my wife. He looks at me. He looks back at his mom and he said, no, dad, you need to spank me now. And he bends over and grabs his ankles. I said, stand up, John Daniel. And I looked him right in the eye and I said, Oh, no. There is a punishment far worse than a spanking awaiting you tomorrow. Sweet dreams. Your mother and I will talk to you tomorrow after church. And I said it with dripping sarcasm, right? So Cheryl and I talked about it, and we realized that, you know, the kids snuck out. We still didn't get the whole story. So it's Sunday afternoon after church. So John Daniel... And by the way, you don't need to be disciplining your kids in front of your other kids. There are times where this needs to be private. So we said, Katie, go to your room. In fact, go to the basement, right? We're upstairs. I said, John, what were you thinking? What, what, what was going on in your mind? You went outside. All you had on was boxer shorts and a bathrobe and you're barefoot. And what were you doing? I'm thinking he's 10. You know, what? I mean, what? I just couldn't fathom it. This is his story. He has maintained this story since he's 10. For 15 years, he's never varied off this. I'm pretty sure on my deathbed, he's going to whisper, Dad, here's what really happened, Dad. Just on my deathbed. But he said what happened was before we called him in that earlier that night, 
that some of his friends had said some very rude and, in his words, disgusting things about Katie because Katie and a little girlfriend were riding on a bike double and they were being perverted, he said, and they called them some things that I won't repeat on this tape. And he explained to me what they said. I said, and so what does that have to do with sneaking out? He goes, I was going down to tell Ricky Tagason what was up and you don't ever talk about my sister like that. I said, like, you're gonna, like, bring it? I said, John, you're in a bathrobe. What was this, your boxing robe you're gonna throw down? You're gonna be in your boxers? What's going down? And he said, that's what I was doing, Dad. And I said, you didn't think about putting on clothes? No, I just said, I just was so mad. And he, and over the years, the thing about, I found out with my kids, that supposed firstborn that was so obedient she was actually the more deviant of, of our kids. We found out many, many years later. She never snuck out, but she would tell you what you wanted to hear. John, on the other hand, got in trouble all the time, but the kid actually told the truth and actually got himself in trouble constantly because he was a horrible liar. So we were caught, and we said, well, you should have not, you should have come and talked to her. You should have done that. You should have done that. And yeah, there's going to be consequences. And so you're going to pull weeds for four hours on Monday. It's August like 112 degrees. Humidity's like 93%. It was a horrible thing to do. It was awesome. So he goes out to pull weeds. He's doing his thing. Now here's where you got to be on the same page. So by the way, he's maintained that story from forever. In fact, almost every Christmas. Hey John, remember? Yeah, yeah. Is that really? Dad, I'm telling you. And he has never, ever backed down. It may be true. I get to heaven. I'm going to find out if it's true. So he's pulling weeds. Now, this is about being on the same page and, and having consequences for your behavior. So Cheryl's at the command central, which is our kitchen sink, overlooking our backyard. And she goes, honey, it is really hot out there. He could get heat exhaustion. Really? No, I shouldn't be happy about that. I said, she said I'm just going to bring him some lemonade. I said, honey, don't let him suck you in. I won't. I'll just bring him a lemonade. So she takes some lemonade. I watch. I'm watching. She stays there for a few minutes and comes back in. A little while later, she says, honey, he's all alone. This is a horrible job. Honey, did we agree? Yeah, we agreed. How about if I just go down there and sit in the chair, and I'll just keep him company while he's doing it? I said, okay, that's probably reasonable, but I'm telling you, honey, he is going to work you. You know this. There's something he's going to, something's going to happen. Just, it's his job to pull weeds for four hours. And, you know, he's pulling weeds like this. Gulp, 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 you know, like one weed per minute, right? So I go away, I'm doing something. I come back, I kid you not, he is sitting in the chair. Cheryl is on her knees pulling weeds and he's pointing out to her the places she's missing. Now, Cheryl says she has a different version but I'm doing the teaching and she's not here to defend herself. So you can ask her at Lambs if that's how it went down. But the bottom line is we found out from very early on, I tended to be the rule keeper. She tended to be much more loving and a rule bender. Now, as we've gotten older, I'm the rule breaker and she's the rule keeper, all right? And I don't know what's gonna happen once we have kid, uh, grandkids. All right, now, so that's the process. Begin with a request, not resort uh, to a threat. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Okay. You're going to be able to be near your grandkids because you're not taking your flu shot. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? You know what I did today? I mean, true. I actually, I got this 
three emails from my wife today, and right before I came in, I relented and said, okay, I'll get all of my shots this week. So I've relented, you know, but I can't believe I can get a flu shot to hold my grandson. But <clears throat> I checked with other grandparents. Apparently, that is the thing you do. We're all getting flu shots. So if I'm coughing and hacking and got the flu in the next two weeks, it was for my grandchild. John Nungester will have to preach. I'll just stay home. All right. Where are we? I'm completely lost. Uh, don't resort to threats. Okay. Um, any questions about that? All right. Let's go to the next principle. Love them unconditionally. Love them unconditionally, but hold them accountable for their behavior. All right? And we show love different ways. You know, some, if you ever read Gary Chapman's book on the five love languages, your kids have love languages. Remember, it's physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, etc. So help them to own their stuff. Well, what does that mean? Well, help them take responsibility for their actions. And number three, know the difference between acceptance and approval. All right, three points under that. So the bottom line is, maybe part of them owning their responsibilities is if they didn't study for the test and they get an F, and that F doesn't allow them to play flag football, then they can't play flag football. And you say, would that hurt you more than it hurt them? Yeah, because I love football. I don't want my kid not to play flag football. So maybe I'll help him study so he can pass that test. So we, have, we always had incentives, all right? Hey, if we get this done in this next hour, then this hour we can do this. That worked wonderfully for my daughter. Goal-oriented, see the prize, check it off her list, and go do it. My son, not so much. All right, we're going to do this for an hour, and then we'll do this for an hour. What would he want to do? Let's do the second hour's activity before the first hour's activity, right? We're going to watch TV, then we'll get to the homework. No, 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 that doesn't work that way. And he was always, always working the system. So when you have a kid who isn't motivated to do because you say so, what have you as parents found that works for your kids who are a little more challenging because they're strong-willed or spirited? How have you helped them to move down that decision path for you? What have you done? Share with one another. What would you do? You're saying, that's why we came to the seminar. You're supposed to tell us. Anybody? Who's a, had a strong, who's got those strong-willed children? Raise your hands. So what have you done? What have you done to help them make choices, good choices? Let them live out the consequences of their choices. So you let them live out. So what have you done? We, my husband and I are trying just, they're losing privileges. They lose privileges, okay? And there's only so many things you can take away from them, you know? Now, in the air, you know, the cell phone is a big one for a, a lot of kids have cell phones at a very young age. It's pretty funny to realize our kids, my daughter did not get her first cell phone until she went away to college, and that was in 2002. So she was 18 before she, and that's just 10 years ago. And she could use ours when she was driving in winter storms. She took one of our cell phones, but she didn't get her own cell phone until she went to college. I think about it today, a lot of 10-year-olds have their own cell phone or have one that they can use and, you know, if they're texting or whatnot. What's, by the way, what age do you let your kids have a cell phone? I'm just curious because I'm clearly out of date. How old? None of the five-year-olds have any? Thank goodness. All right, just checking. My daughter's 15 and 15. she does not have a cell phone. So she doesn't have one either. God bless you. Hang on. Anybody else? What's the youngest you'd let a kid have a cell phone? 
in this audience? What do you think? Go ahead. I was going to say, it depends on the situation. Like ours, sometimes we want them to have a cell phone if they're at a practice or something. Yeah, so they have a way to get a hold of you. See, once our daughter started driving, she had access to one of our cell phones. But I can't possibly fathom today if I had kids that I'd ever give them my cell phone now. Can you imagine? Somebody calls and my daughter has a cell phone. Hi, Pastor Wynn. Who is this? Well, I'm his executive assistant. What can I do for you today? And by the way, Katie did that one time when she was four. She answered the phone as if she was the babysitter and took all the information down, never wrote it. And the person said, well, how come we never called back? I said, what do you mean? I left all the information with the babysitter. Oh, no. She said, hello. Thank you. I'll take that message. I'll be home a little later. She was four-year-old. Never wrote down a thing. It was unbelievable. So we, it varies with kids, but a lot of times we have to decide, you know, what is it that, that we're trying to accomplish uh, in terms of holding them um, accountable. And the idea of showing acceptance is really this. There are plenty of times where you can hear them, but you're disagreeing with them. Because your kids will cause, tell you all the time, you're not listening to me. Yes, I am. I'm listening. I'm just disagreeing. Go ahead. It took me a while to think of it. Yeah, we've had a lot of challenges because it seems like he's not listening. Like he's not listening. Yeah. Okay. And so and then we would make him look at us. And believe it or not, he asked us, he said, well, will you write it down? Okay. And so he said, yeah. He goes, when you have requests, will you write that down in the order that you want me to do it? Really? And, and he does. And so like at school, we have certain requests. And so we write it down. And, right. And we asked his teacher to write it down. And so he does better when it's written. Yeah, so he sees the go. list and, and he follows it. So if you have the whiteboard, you can write stuff down. And, you know, kids are auditory learners. You know, again, some kids, they just get it, you know. Katie asked for a little notebook when she was in first grade so she could write down her assignments. What yeah. kid does that? And see, that's the, that was the funny thing is that he asked for it. So he asked for it. So you found what works for you. Excellent. Okay. So let's, uh, let's go to this. Um, the bottom line is offer your kids choices within limits because the issue is one of control. Offer them choices within limits. See, and for some of you, maybe you're a bit of a control freak. And that's the next slide. Why do you need to be in control? Are you a helicopter parent? If you took the quiz from last week, you've got to ask yourself, is there something about my need to control everything that allows me not to release my kids and let go? I've told Katie that it's always been tough. When you're the firstborn, you make all your mistakes on your firstborn. You know, you're too strict, you're too lenient. Most parents are not too lenient on your firstborn. And you progressively lighten up. So those of you who have only one child, um, you're probably, your natural inclination is to be a little more protective, a little more hold on, etc. By the time you have three or four or five kids, man, you can't do that. You go from man, you know, double teaming them to two, it's, you know, man-on-man -man defense, then you got to go to a zone defense, and then you just like lock the doors and don't let them out, you know? So you have to decide how is it that you're going to parent within the number of kids you have. Now, who has the most kids? Who has five? Anybody have five kids? No five kids? Four kids? Four kids? Do I, do I hear three? Go on for three. So we have three sets of you who have three kids. How many of you plan to have more kids? Anybody going to have more kids, have more than three kids? All right. So, you know, three is manageable. There's two of you, and, you know, as, one, as they get older, it gets a little more uh, manageable. Okay, now let's talk about um, uh, a little bit about this whole idea of controlling, and it's not going to be on the slide, so 
let me just talk through a couple of things, then we'll get to um, the plan for parenting at each life stage. Um, anytime, here's a principle under control. Anytime you make a threat or a statement that you can't make them do, you're giving way too much control to your kid. If you make a statement that you can't follow through on and you can't, quote, make them obey, not a good thing to do. You cannot put yourself in this, I'm right, you're wrong, you're gonna do. Now that threat kind of approach, I'm bigger than you, works when they're little. But that's not the ultimate way that you want, you don't want a parent through intimidation and fear. But here's the problem. How many of you grew up in a home where intimidation or fear was the predominant way that your parents disciplined you? Look at it. Almost all of us, it was a different era. Your dad looked at you and I said, you're going to do it because I said so. And, and there was no messing around. I remember, my, I'm not a big advocate of spanking. You know, I, and I talk about that uh, when they're little, but not when you're 11 years old. I do remember the last time I ever got spanked. I was 11 years old, and I hadn't been spanked probably for six years, maybe longer. But I was sassing my mom, and I was talking back. Would you come up here? And I'll illustrate exactly how my dad spanked me. He said, you will never, and he was five foot two, right? And I was looking at him in the eye. He grabbed my left ear, and somehow, as he was taking his belt off, by the way, you will follow me anywhere if I pull your ear. And just like that. And he, we went around like this, like this, like this. And I was screaming, and he was spanking. And I thought he was going to yank my ear off. This is, thank you, you can have a seat. And sorry about the ear. That's what you get for the front row. Um, 20 bucks. 20 bucks for ear abuse. Um, he scared me. I thought... He's going to rip my ear off. He had never done anything like that. Let me guarantee you, I never even came close to ever sassing my mom again, at least in front of my dad, right? He scared me. I mean, he scared me. I remember a time with John Daniel, and, you know, I had to really work as they were younger. I don't want to discipline in anger. That's the number one mistake dads make is a discipline in anger. And you say, what about moms? Moms do too. But that's that kind of volatile, explosive anger when you're disciplining your children. We'll talk about when can you spank and how can you spank in just a little bit. There's a plan for that. All right. Now, let's go to um, a couple other things under that. Uh, the bottom line is learn to say yes. Think about life for you. Is it going to kill you as a general rule, to the first response to a kid's request is, think about it, why can't I say yes to this? Because some of us, our first response is we don't even think about the request. Our immediate response is no. And it's because we're tired, because it will inconvenience us. It's because we don't want to do it. And we haven't really thought about, well, why couldn't we do that? Well, Dad, can you take me to the mall? No. Well, why, Dad? because uh, I want to watch the USC game. Uh, I mean, think about the lame excuses we give our kids why we can't do things. Now, some things are not appropriate. I remember the very first time they got to go to the mall by themselves. Katie was 13. Johnny was 11. They were begging 
all of our friends get to go to the mall. Why can't we go to the mall? I said, well, how about if we take to the mall, we'll go do our own thing, but at least we'll be in the mall. You don't have to be hanging with us. You can do whatever you want. So the very first time we gave them one hour, and Cheryl did it, I was at work or something, I don't remember where I was, took them to the mall, Eden Prairie Mall. So Katie's 13, he's 11, and they were supposed to meet back at a certain, at the food court at a certain time. And um, we hadn't thought about giving them a cell phone. We just said, okay, you got an hour, we're trusting you, go do whatever you want, be back in an hour. So Cheryl takes the full 59 and a half minutes before she shows up in the food cart, and they are sitting there shaking. I mean, they are visibly both shaking. And she's like, oh no, what has happened? And before she can walks up, John Daniel just bursts out crying. He's 11 years old. 11 year olds are not supposed to cry in public, right? He's like, <laughs> chasing me and he was snorting at me and he was really weird and Katie's like like and and, and Cheryl's like what happened and Katie they this some weird guy started following them in the mall I mean like creepy weird guy and they tried to get somebody's attention and then they couldn't and they didn't know who they could talk to and Katie's like 13 feeling really stupid because she babysits and she should know better than this and she wasn't going to go confront the guy and so they ran and then we found out later it was a it was a special needs adult and he was just trying to be friendly but he couldn't talk very well and he was kind of drooling and they thought he was some creepy predator <laughs> it was just a special needs guy trying to be friendly and they got freaked out it was amazing about the rest of the summer, there was no request to go to the mall. <laughs> no requests. And so sometimes there are just things that causes kids to say, hey, I wasn't ready for this. I remember I was 10 when I told my parents, I am old enough to be home without a babysitter. Now my grandparents lived one block away. So my parents said, okay, you can be on your own. Now my sister's eight years older, so she was out on a date, it's a Friday night, I'm 10, my grandparents about a block away and I'm home alone. I'm thinking, this is awesome. So what do you think the little, what was I thinking? So I'm watching like Fright Night, you know, Frankenstein, Frankenstein and Godzilla, I know, some creepy little movie. I was even playing with my creepy crawlers and it's a fall night and it's like the wind's blowing and the trees are, you know, scraping up against the windows and I start inventing the fact somebody is after me. And I kid you not, I get a baseball, I'm like thinking someone is trying to get in. And I had my baseball bat, and I, and I did this, I'm so terrified, I got up against the wall like this, and I'm just sitting there with my baseball bat thinking, someone's gonna break into this house. I don't know what I invented in my mind, I've got this baseball bat, I'm right up against the wall, the phone's right there, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and I'm like, ah! And I'm thinking, Oh, these guys are horrible. They're calling in. They're calling me before they come in to kill me. I'm, I've just got this whole, so I pick up and go, what do you want? Hi, Johnny, this is Grandma. How's everything? And I go, not good. Can you come over right now? What's going on? I don't know. I think somebody's trying to break into our house. Really? Grandma's going, really? Yeah, you got to come right now. So they came over to the house. Grandpa looked in the backyard with his flashlight. Nobody's there, Johnny. Now I'm embarrassed, because mom and dad are gonna be home in about an hour. Can we kind of keep this between us? I didn't say it that way, I just knew that, don't tell them, please. And to this day, as far as I know, my grandparents never 
So we better get out of here before they get home. <sighs> Thanks, Grandma. Thanks, Grandpa. And they disappeared. To my knowledge, my parents never knew that I called in Grandma and Grandpa because I couldn't handle my first time alone. So sometimes, but by the way, I'm pretty sure my parents knew that I might need a safety net. And that's one of the beauties of having extended family living near you. It's something our kids didn't get for 14 years living in Minnesota. It's something my wife and I are talking about seriously about what it's like to be grandparents and how can we come alongside and be there where we didn't have that choice with our kids growing up. By the way, how many have grandparents in your kids' lives right now? So uh, several of you, that's great. Uh, We just didn't have that option. Okay, now let's go to some specific uh, discipline stuff. Uh, Let's see, what do we got next here? Let's look at the next slide. 11 to 18 months, all right? So who's got uh, someone up to 18 months old? Anybody got anybody that, that young right now? None of you. No 18 months? Okay. We're going to go real quick because none of you have that. That's what we call basic German shepherd. All right? What do you do when up until they're 18 months old? I call it basic German shepherd. And I want to suggest to you the best book that most of you have never read is this one book. It's called Parenting with Love and Logic by Jim Fay and Foster Klein. How many of you have read the book? Anybody? We have one. It is the best parenting book, bar none, I'll put it up there with Dobson, Lehman. And the thing is, most Christian parents have never heard of it because these, it's not marketed particularly in the Christian market. Jim Fay is an educator. Foster Klein is a medical doctor. They're both from Colorado. And someone told us about this book years ago, and I think you can still get it in print. If you're desperate and you can't find it, see me, and I will lend my copy to you with a $100 deposit that you promised to give back. No, I wouldn't. You can borrow it. But it's a great book, and uh, a lot of what we learned in our philosophy of parenting came from a seminar I went to this 25-plus years ago, all right? So here's the bottom line. If we can't make a two-year-old obey basic commands, then let me ask you this. What are the next 16 years going to be like for you? If you can't get a two-year-old to do what you ask, (laughs) Paul's shaking his head like, that would be a nightmare. I see them when they're 18, that's fine. You see them. You go, clearly something was disconnected right there. And so, you know, but bottom line is, believe it or not, sociologically, that by the age of nine months, children surpass the family dog in intelligence. Nine-month-olds actually know what they're doing. And you say, nah, they don't. They do. Uh, the key, I think, to teaching Basic German Shepherd is this idea is to control only those things that we can control. You can't make an infant stop crying, right? So you can't make them quit sucking their thumb. You can't make them. Um, So one of the things we want to do is to help them. Sometimes you want to change the location in order to change the behavior. So most of you, we're not going to spend a lot of time here because you don't have kids that age, but just think about it. They're crying because they're wet or they're hungry, right? Two basic things when kids are young. And so you've got to figure that out. There's all kinds of, uh, you know, discussion about, you know, demand feeding or, you know, scheduled feeding. And there's all kinds of people out there. Some of you have gone through Growing Kids God's Way. Some of you uh, read the basic uh, parenting book by Gary Ezzo and some of those things. Some of you have read... um, 
um, Tripp's stuff on shepherding a child's heart. How many have read any of Tripp's stuff on shepherding a child's heart? By the way, I'm going to give you an exhaustive inventory of books that I've had and used uh, next week. Um, so I would just suggest this. Um, the third thing is don't confuse anger with firmness. So a lot of times, you know, a firm person can be a little loud and even use a little physical pressure, not harmful pressure, um, but you don't have to be yelling loud to know that you mean business. Think about that with your dad. When the times you were most a little worried about your dad is when he got at eye level, he lowered his voice and he said it like this. If you ever, ever hit your sister again, I will ensure that your life will be one of solitary confinement, locked in the trunk of our car, <laughs> in the heat. No, I mean, he wouldn't do that. But you know what? He'd lower his voice. He'd get at eye level. He didn't raise his voice. And you'd go, yes, sir, right? And so, again, you have children, and you know how they respond to that. Some of your kids, you look at them firmly, and they start crying. I mean, they have, their, their spirit is so gentle, you just look at them. You know, like I told you last week, right? Just looked at my sister and she caved. You looked at Katie, she caved. You look at John Daniel, what's up? And so how many have one of those what's up kids? You know, look at them, they don't cave. And they're like poker, they should be poker players. You know, they got that poker face, they'll stare you down. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, how about um, four to six-year-olds? That's remedial German Shepherd 201, all right? So we got the four to six-year-olds. Here's a couple of rules. Um, um, I just would avoid physical, physical contact that's, that with them. Um, I think you're in a very interesting stage about whether you, and different parents have different ideas about when you should or shouldn't spank, all right? It's, a, it's, kind, it's it never used to be controversial, but how many of you would say spanking is appropriate at a certain age. Now, when by spanking, we're not talking about child abuse, but you would say spanking is appropriate for certain behaviors. Is it something you resort to as your first choice? No. So let's talk a little bit, uh, once I get through this, I, I want to talk about when is spanking appropriate, all right? But in the four to six year age, you avoid physical tussles. Uh, number two, you tell your child what you wish he or she would do rather than always being these ultimatum orders. So it's really easy. Hey, do you want to wear your blue coat or your green coat? You win either way, right? Blue or green, you don't really care. So you give them choices that either one are fine with you. Instead of making it wear your coat. I don't want to wear my coat. No, you get to wear your coat, your blue one or your green one. You want to wear your flip-flops or your tennis shoes. You want to wear shorts or jeans, all right? Um, and again, also use isolation sometimes rather than other kinds of reinforcement. Now, the only caveat about isolation is how many of you have a kid who's very comfortable in their own skin and don't mind being alone? Yeah, the timeout, who, I know timeouts are the big rage. Timeouts never worked with Katie. She'd say, fine, she'd read a book. The only kind of timeout that would work for her is put her in a bunch of people without a book. And she wasn't a big TV, she'd take away the TV, Phew, that's fine. Take away her journal, mm, not so much, you know. John Daniel, the extrovert, oh yes, timeouts were wonderful. 
you're going to sit in your room with no G.I. Joes. In fact, we couldn't put him in his room because he had them hidden everywhere. So his time out was right smack dab in the center of the living room as long as there was no eye contact with any human being. Because if he could get eye contact, he would then invent a story and begin talking and talking and you're sucked back in, right? So timeouts don't work for every kid, you know. For Katie, uh, seriously, we hardly ever, I can't probably remember, and, and my wife and I have talked about this, probably spanked Katie less than three times in her entire life and never after the age of three. John Daniel, the Board of Education, as I have said, met the seat of his understanding. It was, it was every day was a battle for him. And he just never, he learned the hard way. It was very difficult, okay? Um, so that's four to six-year-olds. Let's talk about spanking for a second. What are the four rules? If you're gonna spank, number one, only when a child is under three years of age. Now, some spank at four, five, and six. I don't think that's a fast rule, but if you're spanking 12-year-olds, there's something wrong, especially when they're bigger than you, all right? Uh, somewhere uh, between three and six, you're probably gonna say, that isn't the most effective method. There are other motivational tools than spanking, all right? By the way, what is the best spanking instrument? Let's just, track. huh? A hot wheel track. A hot wheel track, but that leaves like track marks. Oh, yeah. All right. Still got how, the marks. How many use plastic spatulas when they're real little, right? When they're 12 to uh, two years old, 12 months spatula? What do, uh, we've talked about, do you use your hand? Do they associate hand with, you know, punishment? Uh, what other tools of spanking have you used if you've spanked? The one my parents used, remember those ones with the little paddles with the ball connected? Of course, that lasted like, what, three nanoseconds on Christmas Day, and now that's gone, and now they just have the nice little paddle. So they'd use that. And Kevin Lehman talks about a little pat to the popa. That's the, the, the little, and likes fatty pat on their, on their, and that's probably, you know, you got to think through, you know, they got the big Huggies diapers. You got to figure that out. So probably it's on the leg. If you're bruising kids, clearly that's out of line. But the bottom line is you've got to get their attention and you want to break their will, but you don't want to break their spirit. Now, some of you say, I would never spank. I don't want to spank. Read the Proverbs and talk about what does the scripture say about spanking. Right? Some of you, again, your kids, that's not going to be a big instrument uh, in your arsenal. For others, you're going to have to find they're so strong-willed that if you don't get a corner on that early in life, you're, you're going to run into some serious problems. Now, the problem in our culture is if you spank in public, what are you inviting? Trouble. A child abuse. So I, this is where kids definitely have it over you. If you're going to spank, I would not do it in a supermarket these days. I wouldn't do it in your front lawn or in your backyard. I would do it in a private place, and it needs to be controlled. This is principle number two. Only if you can do it in a painful way. You say, what? Yeah, in other words, it's controlled, but it needs to get their attention. Now, it doesn't want to draw blood, but it needs to be a reminder that this is not acceptable. Number three, only with your mouth shut and with no angry words. Now, how many of you ever had a dad? This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I'm pretty sure it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, dad. But I heard that growing up. This was, this was going to be painful for me. It's really, Dad? Because I don't really buy it. I think I'm just going to take it in the shorts and I'll get on with it. Um, and this is the fourth one. You only spank if you can do it guilt-free. So if you can't spank without feeling guilty, you probably shouldn't spank. Make your husband do it. 
<laughs> All right? Now, the problem is spanking and anger. And that's the one that all of you have to just think, hey, but how could I spank that little two-year-old? That little two-year-old who's completely, and you need to know the difference between defiant behavior and as many writers have talked about, childish foolishness. Those are two different things. Are there just being kids? Do kids make accidents? Yeah. So you don't spank kids because they spilled the gallon of milk all over the kitchen floor. Do you spank them for that? No. If they're old enough, what do you make them do? Clean it up. And if it's not good enough, they clean some more. It's a teachable moment. And so you, you gotta decide what is a spanking offense. There were two for us. We remember we're the like limit, very small rule, very few rules. Dishonesty and disrespect got you the death penalty. For us, death penalty was spanking, all right? So, the bottom line is John Daniel didn't get spanked because he was dishonest. The kid told the truth. He got spanked because he was disrespectful. And that was the battle of his will growing up. And even to this day, it's one of those things he and I as an adult child, we've talked about what kind of relationship do we want to have? And because he's always maintained, I'm going to raise my kids differently. It's so interesting, the older my kids get, Apparently, I've gotten a lot smarter because they've now come back to me and claimed, Dad, I can't believe that, that actually makes sense. Now, the real test of this is once my daughter has our first grandchild, I am pretty sure our IQ is going to skyrocket to over 200. Oh, yeah. And I'm oh, pretty yeah. sure I'm going to be Einstein close to, you know, genius, you know. If not me, for sure my wife, I'm sure. All right? Now, um, Let's skip the slide on discipline in public places. Um, but le Well, let's just talk about discipline in public places. Um, I just think that parents need to realize that you're a target if, in fact, you're, you're spanking in public. Um, and kids think their parents don't do anything or dare to do anything to them because they're out in public. But parents think they don't dare have consequences for their kids with so many people looking on. So the people watching wonder why in the world these parents don't do anything about this obnoxious child. So you don't have to spank them, but the bottom line is you gotta do something. So either walk away, depending on their age and how you're gonna deal with that in public. And then uh, let's end tonight with dealing with um, blatant defiance, all right? blatant defiance or disrespect, because this is one that probably every parent has to wrestle with. If there's been blatant defiance or disrespect, what is your approach? What do you do? Duct tape. Huh? <laughs> duct tape. Du Actually, duct tape is a very, a man really only needs two things in life, duct tape and WD-40, you know? Loosen it up or tighten it up, you know? Um, so what do you do with blatant disrespect? Removal of privileges. So removal of privileges. What are some of those privileges? For a f we have like three five-year-olds, parents with five or six-year-olds. What, what is that for a five or six-year-old? What do you do? Cartoon time. Okay, so lessened TV time. And now kids don't want TV because they're playing. Or any screen time. Any kind of screen time. That's right. Computer, Nintendo, Xbox, etc. Comes on multiple platforms, right? Uh, what else? 
What do you do? Yes, back here. You say we actually, you know, just explain to them that's just highly unacceptable. You need to go to your room, and, and we leave them in their room for a while. Yeah. So we usually go up and we have a conversation with them. Usually calmly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we have a conversation and they come down, and it's going to differ depending on what's going on, you know. If right. If something, I may ask them to come down and help clean up the mess, or, right. you know, they need to go apologize to somebody, or, you know, it just depends on the situation. So it depends on the situation. I'm going to repeat this for the tape so that you've got to deal with kids. You give them a little time to think about their choices. Now, the thing is, when they're five, six, and seven, that's the easy time. Some of you are dealing with these 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds that you say, what happened to my little princess? She's turned into the wicked witch of the West. What's going on? And don't underplay the hormonal changes of our teenage girls as they're going through puberty. Now, you know the onset of puberty has gotten lower, younger and younger ages over the last 100 years. And if you know the research, our educators can probably tell me, but we have girls now going through puberty as young as 10, 11 years old. Now, think about the hormonal changes in a 10-year-old or 11-year-old fifth or sixth grade girl and, you know, especially if they're early, early developing girls, you know, maturity-wise, I mean, you got the broad discussion going much sooner. Um, we, our Katie was a little bit of a late bloomer, thank goodness, all right? Think about what the boys, you know? You look at the Little League World Series and you swear, those kids from Korea are like 16. I mean, some of those kids are growing beards and they're 12 years old. Check their ages, you know? How can they do that? You know, and we look at our little you know, you look at some of these kids, they're, they're big, they're tall, they're growing. Every kid's different. One of the things that you have to face is a late developing boy, right? So he gets ridiculed as he's going into junior high because he's still like four seven, you know? And he hasn't had his growth spurt, growth spurt yet. And so there's other issues because of hormones in growing up. But as far as blatant disrespect, I would just... Uh, venture to say these couple things. Number one, start by respecting yourself. Start by respecting yourself. If you don't have your own self-respect, if you don't respect your spouse, for instance, your kids pick up on that. Dads, love your wives as Christ loved the church. One of the best models for your kids is to watch dads Love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, some of you, I don't know where you are in your faith journey, but I can tell you this. As I model that kind of behavior in front of my kids, it's amazing how I set the tone for the atmosphere in the house. If I'm uptight, my kids were uptight. If I'm making a big deal about everything, my kids make a big deal about everything. And what we tried to do is, obviously, weren't, we weren't perfect parents. But one of the things that I tried to model is that part of my role was to be a servant leader in my home. And no behavior, no activity in the house was beneath my willingness to do it. I did a lot of dishes. I changed a lot of diapers. I picked up a lot of toys. But you know what? My kids did it with me from the time they were itty bitty, can you help daddy with the dishes to help mommy? We wanna help mommy, cause she's had a long day. And I remember Katie you know, being three, can I help? Yeah, 
So you break a few dishes. Seriously, who cares? She had such a sweet spirit because she wanted to help daddy. Remember Johnny? He wanted to shave. He was two. <laughs> put him up on the counter. Okay, we're going to shave. Come on. Let's get it on. I put, you know, I put it all over his face. And of course, he had a little plastic razor. He's like shaving his head, you know. No, you shave your cheeks. Why, daddy? Because that's where the whiskers go. Do I have whiskers? Not yet. He was always checking. Daddy, you got hair, you know. Where's my hair? Believe me, kid, you're going to be a hairy beast. I know our family. Just be glad you don't have any, you know. What's a hairy beast, Dad? You'll know sooner or later, you know. So we used a lot of that just modeling with our kids. Um, it's easier said than that, but number two, never demand it. Never demand it. You will respect me, young man. None of that in their face, you know, breathing, you know, oh, you got bad breath, Dad. None of that. We just didn't do it. All right? Now, when you lose your temper, all bets are off. All bets are off. Thirdly, and lastly, just ask yourself, is this worth it? Is what I'm so upset about worth it? And you'll have to decide what are the things that you'll have to deal with. Most of the time, an old school man, what would they do if you sassed your mom? My mom, I mean, man, there's the bar of soap in your mouth, right? Now, you know, the softs, the, 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 the pumps, that's very, be very careful. You're going for the pump, you take out an eye, you know? Oh, it's in the eye, not in the mouth. I never did the soap thing with my kids, all right? I just said, that just seems gross. And maybe, it, I don't know, it just didn't work for us. I know some parents do little soap thing. Oh. Here's what we did. And my wife is the one who taught it best. She'd get down at eye level, and when somebody was disrespectful or said something in a cranky, mean-spirited way, and you can, you know my wife, some of you know my wife, you can imagine her pulling this off. She'd just look at him and say, excuse me, but could you rephrase that and try it one more time? And she didn't say it with anger. She didn't get mad. So how could you not respond to this? Cheryl Irwin getting in your little face. Excuse me, but could you rephrase that one more time? And John Denner go, I said this. He goes, that's just too loud. Could you try it? My ears are hurting. And now you say, did she really talk like Yeah, she just was so good. I would be more like, say it another way. You know, that's not very helpful. I just would inflame the situation. Now, the weird thing is, I'm here like bearing my soul, and I've got to preach to you folks on Sunday. So those of you who go to another church, we have a little rule here. What we talked about tonight stays right here in this room. Fair enough? All right. So the best news that I can give you tonight is there are no perfect parents. And I can tell you, there are plenty of mistakes that I made along the way. I've given you a few extra things in your handout we're not covering tonight, but I think you might enjoy them. Nine ways to be your child's best friend after I said you can't be their best friend. It's a little play on words there but you can read that one. I also gave you 12 rules on how to uh, raise delinquent children. That's a great read tonight. Do that right before bed and then not sleep at night. But here's probably the most important document. I got it from John Maxwell years ago and it's called How to Pray for Your Kids. 12 specific things to be able to pray for your kids as they're growing up. And there are 12 things and we prayed each month was a different thing we prayed for over the course of several years. We just can't rotating through this. I had so many different versions of this on the mirror, in my journal. 
uh, in my Bible, etc. So um, that's where we'll end tonight. I want to end with this, and uh, we'll be done. Everyone said Sharon was a terrific mother. Her neighbor said it. She painted the inside of her garbage cans with enamel, grew her own vegetables, and donated blood. Her mother said it. Sharon drove to the doctor's when she had an appointment, color-coordinated the children's clothes, put them in labeled drawers, planned family reunions, wrote her congressman, and knew her health insurance policy number by heart. Her children's teacher said it. She helped her children every night with their homework, packed nutritious lunches with little raised faces on the sandwiches with homeroom mother, belonged to five carpools, and once blew up 234 balloons by herself for the seventh grade party. Her husband said it. Sharon washed the car, saved antifreeze from year to year, paid all the bills, removed the hose during the summer months so the grass wouldn't turn yellow, and once found a $12 error in their favor on a tax return. Her best friend said it. Sharon crocheted a Santa Claus to cover the extra roll of toilet paper at Christmas time, washed fruit before her children ate it, kept a Boston fern alive for an entire year. When the group ate out for lunch, they always figured out who owed what, and she told them. Her pastor said it. Sharon found time to read all the dirty books and campaign against them. She played the guitar at evening services and corresponded with a poor family in Guatemala in Spanish. Sharon was one of those women blessed with a knack for being organized. She planned a theme party for the dog's birthday. She put up a basketball hoop over the clothes hamper as an incentive for good habits and kept a schedule that would have brought any other woman to her knees. Need 25 women to chaperone a party? Give the list to Sharon. Need a mother to convert the school library to the Dewey Decimal System? Call Sharon. Need someone to organize a block party, garage sale, or a school carnival? Get Sharon. Sharon was super mom. Her doctor said it. Her butcher said it. Her tennis partner said it. Her children. Her children never said it. You see, they spent a whole lot of time with Rick's mom, who was at home eating cookies out of a box and playing Candyland with them. I don't mean to guilt trip you, but I can tell you all this stuff we're talking about tonight, if I did one thing right as a parent, is I realized that they were going to grow up really quick. And probably because I had been a high school pastor first and worked with so many crazy in at-risk kids, I tried to savor every single day with my kids. And I got to tell you, it feels pretty good. We've been married 34 years. My daughter's 28. My son's 25. And I have very few regrets. Not because I was perfect, but I can tell you, I got memory after memory of making choices that I'm pretty proud of today. I turned down some promotions in church world over the years because it wasn't right for my family. I made some choices that said, I'm going to coach my kids as long as they want me to be their coach without being a jerk. And I had the privilege of coaching travel baseball teams and basketball teams, and I was involved with my kids all the way up until high school when then I had to become a parent in the stands, biting my finger. But I enjoyed every minute of that. And you know one of the things someone told me is, savor every stage 
I wasn't all excited when they got out of diapers. Well, if the truth be known, I kind of was. <laughs> Savor every stage because you're looking at a few high school parents here tonight and they'll tell you that it seemed like yesterday that they blinked their eye. Where did this 15-year-old come from? And where did the days go? Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these parents. May you bless them for their efforts. Lord, they could have been a bazillion other places tonight, but they came here to want to think about how they could be better parents. And I'd ask tonight, Lord, that you'd bless them in their efforts. In Jesus' name, amen. I forgot to talk about the three by five card, so here's the deal. Your agenda is my agenda next week. I've got some stuff called Parenting Pearls, but I need you to give me questions that you definitely want me to answer next week, and then I'll make sure my wife is here, okay? So actually, I am gonna try to get my wife here next week, and we're gonna do some stuff. I don't know how we'll do it, but I wanna put us around tables next week. So Casey and I will talk about how that works. So you're gonna be at tables in here next week, and we're gonna kind of put you by age of your kids. We're gonna do some interactive things next week.